The Women's Health Project is produced on Gadigal land as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past, present and future and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This is a historic moment for global health. It marks the first time that the world has committed to eliminating a cancer. The WHO strategy to eliminate cervical cancer recognized that we need to join hands across borders, sectors, and economic divides to improve the lives of millions of women and girls around the world. We know that while many countries have the resources and tools to prevent and control cervical cancer, there are marginalized communities with limited or no access to health services. The world has the knowledge and the tools to stop the spread of this killer disease. But this can only be achieved through political commitment, sustainable public-private partnerships, committed healthcare providers, and caring communities. That there is World Health Organization Director General Dr. Tedros Satanam Gabriesis. You might know his name a little better now thanks to the work he's done on COVID-19. But back in 2018, he issued a call to action for the world to eliminate cervical cancer. And as you were speaking there in 2020, he then launched the strategy for making it happen in an event co-sponsored by Australia, among other countries. Through our research for this project, cervical cancer has come up as a key piece of the puzzle when examining how women's health has been sidelined, a piece that is shaped a little different to the others. It's a piece where the story feels a little bit more immediately positive, where we have seen significant progress made, especially here in Australia. This is an area of women's health where we have so much available right now. And as you'll learn in this episode, we actually have the tools to support the WHO's worldwide elimination strategy. Of course, there will ever always be more room for innovation and research. But now, eliminating this cancer is about leadership. It's about political will. So the big question, do we have enough of that leadership, particularly when it comes to supporting the communities in Australia that have significantly higher rates of cervical cancer rates, like among Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women, as well as supporting our Pacific neighbours internationally, especially in places like Papua New Guinea? My name is Angela Priestley and this is the Women's Health Project, a special podcast series created by Women's Agenda and supported by Organon, the recently launched pharmaceutical company dedicated to a better and healthier every day for every woman. Today we're asking if we have enough of what it takes to globally eliminate cervical cancer. I'm honoured to be joined by Professor Marion Seville for this conversation, the Executive Director of the Australian Centre for the Prevention of Cervical Cancer, who received an Order of Australia last year for her significant services to women's health through cervical screening initiatives. Professor Seville is also someone who is feeling particularly optimistic about this space, especially given announcements made in the days leading up to when we talk. Thank you for listening. For many of us, having a pap smear feels fairly routine. You likely get your reminder in the mail, you go to your GP or healthcare provider for a pelvic examination and you await your results. What we might not realise is the decades of effort that have gone into creating this routine and in getting those reminders to as many of us as possible. 
The PAP test and later the cervical screening test, as well as the national efforts on reminders, has become key to Australia's success in reducing cervical cancer, seeing cancer incidence and mortality halving since the launch of the national program and the offer of a free PAP test every two years back in 1991. But it's not so straightforward for everyone. Getting a reminder involves having a fixed address. It involves having access to Medicare often. And this traditional form of screening involves a doctor or nurse taking cells from the cervix. The procedure can carry some discomfort for some people, cultural concerns and even pain. One bad experience can put a woman off for life. But these tests have saved lives. And in addition to these screenings is the HPV vaccine, which counters a virus that causes most cervical cancers. First introduced in Australia in the early 2000s, it's been a game changer and a massive contributor to getting closer to eliminating this cancer. From Women's Agenda, we wanted to share this conversation here today because so much has changed in the cervical cancer space, not only in the past few years, but actually in the few days before we started recording this. The Australian government announced that those eligible for a cervical screening test will be able to collect their own samples from 1 July 2022, giving women more control and choice over this testing. We can't underestimate the significance of this in helping to dismantle some of the barriers associated with the traditional pelvic examination. This self-collection method involves a simple swab accessed through a health provider, similar to what you might expect from a COVID-19 swab, which could be done in a bathroom or behind a curtain. It's far less invasive than the more traditional screening process and it's expected to improve participation rates across currently underscreened populations, including among linguistically diverse women and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. In further developments, as I'm recording this, the first real-world data on the HPV by Cancer Research UK has found that the injection is cutting cervical cancer by 90%. The findings have been celebrated all over the world and labelled as historic. The vaccine is used by more than 100 countries in conjunction with regular screen programs. The success of this vaccine, alongside the opportunities for self-collection screening, signify incredible success and innovation across this particular area of women's health. But it also highlights the leadership and coordination required to bring these life-saving tools to the world and required to make the WHO's elimination strategy a reality. Professor Marion Seville is involved in those leadership efforts. I started by asking her the rates of cervical cancer in Australia, including why we've been so successful in bringing rates down, but also where the gaps are. Australia is doing very well and is predicted to be the first country in the world to reach the WHO elimination target. So elimination technically as a public health problem has been defined as getting the incidence down to four per 100,000. So Australia will reach elimination through HPV vaccination, screening based on the detection of HPV in the sample using PCR and treatment, so treatment of those precancerous abnormalities. It's not an overnight success. There's been decades of support for an organised approach to screening. So back in the early 1990s, Australia started what was called the organised approach and has become the National Cervical Screening Programme. And at that time, three major things happened. Labs started getting regulated and those that weren't functioning very well were regulated out. All the states and territories over the 1990s established what were then called PAP test registers. And that was about improving the reach, reminding people to come back in and rescreen at the appropriate interval. It was also about following up those who had pap smear detected abnormality or a screen detected abnormality and 
if the register didn't have a signal that that had been followed up, then a cascade of events would start communicating with women and with their doctors. The last thing that happened is that states and territories had responsibility for health promotion in relation to cervical screening or shared responsibility with the Commonwealth. So those three things really started in the early 1990s and we had a very rapid fall by about 50% in the incidence of our cancer rates. But since the early 2000s, that rate has plateaued. We didn't have further falls based on our cytology-based program. Since then, two things have happened. We've got our HPV vaccination program and we've also changed our screening program to be even more effective through the detection of the virus that can cause this cancer, human papillomavirus. This is great success, but sadly, some communities are experiencing significantly higher rates of cervical cancer than others. This is especially tragic when you consider how barriers around screening might be playing a part in those higher numbers. Without a doubt, equity in our program is our biggest challenge in Australia. We will be the first country in the world to get there, but we don't want to leave communities behind. And importantly, Aboriginal women are two and a half to three times more likely to develop this cancer than other Australian women. And almost four times as likely to die of it. So there's work to do in a range of communities, most especially in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, but also some cold communities. Some in the LGBTIQ community need screening and are underscreened. We know that screening is less likely if you're less well off. So there's a socioeconomic gradient in participation in screening that's really important to address. And I think it's the job of the screening program to make our program accessible and acceptable culturally and in every other way to the people we're trying to reach. Prior to the establishment of the National Register, when we had the eight state and territory registers, when we were particularly worried about follow-up, we could contact and get an address from Medicare. I think there's no one solution for reaching people and particularly marginalised people. And some of our most marginalised people don't even have Medicare enrolment, so refugees and asylum seekers. There's a lot of work going on to reach underscreened people through a variety of mechanisms, community outreach and so on. Professor Marion Seville has been at the forefront of so much work in cervical cancer. She's seen this area of women's health completely transformed during her 30 years at the VCS Foundation, which changed its name on the day we talk to the Australian Centre for the Prevention of Cervical Cancer in order to better reflect its repositioned primary purpose, that is... The elimination of cervical cancer is a public health problem in our region. But one of the most exciting developments occurred on the day we spoke, with the federal government announcing that the self-collection program would be open to anyone who needs to be screened from midway through next year. Professor Seville's excitement isn't just about what self-collection can do for people in Australia, but particularly all over the world, especially our closest neighbours in Papua New Guinea. So I was really thrilled to see this. I've been working behind the scenes for years on this issue. As I've touched on, over the decades, I've been involved in a lot of various campaigns to write to unscreened women, encourage them to come in and have a pap smear as it previously was, encouraging them to reach their doctor or nurse, And we can see small incremental gains in participation when we do that. But when I learned that we could do the HPV test on a simple swab, pretty much like the ones you've got used to if you've you've had a COVID test in the last year and a half, that you could collect yourself, I became quite excited about it. And so what we have learned in 2018 is actually for the detection of the precancer we're interested in, self-collection with a swab is just as accurate as practitioner collected with a pelvic exam. So for listeners who've had a pap smear, 
with a speculum. Look, none of us probably enjoy it. Most of us have undergone it because it certainly is better than developing a cervix cancer. But the news that we could reach people who just absolutely were never, we're never going to get about 15% of the population across the line was great. And in our surveys of acceptability, I would characterise the rates we are seeing as a breakthrough in participation, not an incremental gain. So it's not 100%. And in our studies amongst women who were refusing a pap smear, we got 85% of them to return a swab that they collected, which is far greater than anything we did with reminders, health promotion and support. So clearly for some people there's physical discomfort, there are cultural barriers, people who've experienced sexual abuse. There are a whole range of reasons why lying down and having a pelvic exam is just not something some people are willing to do. And today's announcement is not saying that you can't have the sample collected in the usual way. Of course you can, but it's actually putting the screening participant in charge of that decision effectively and saying, as of July 1st next year, if you're eligible for screening, you're eligible to choose between the usual traditional way of collecting that sample or self-collection. There's not going to be anything that's 100% perfect in medicine, we know that, but this is as good as it gets. Now, I'm not going to attempt to do the maths, but if we can reach 85% with the swab test of the 15% of people who are never going to have a pelvic examination, you can see how quickly we can shift the numbers here. These swabs will still be collected in primary care settings, meaning women will still have that vital connection with a healthcare professional. But swab testing could also provide an opportunity for testing to be done at home with a telehealth appointment if you can't get into a physical appointment due to distance or, say, something like a lockdown occurring. Professor Seville is also close to the global targets announced by the World Health Organization. She talks about the opportunity for scalability in making these numbers happen, thanks to the swab test, a level of scalability that just couldn't happen with more traditional exams. Here are those targets. This is what we're trying to reach. To set countries on the path towards elimination by the year 2030, we must aim to achieve the 90-70-90 targets. 90% of girls to be fully vaccinated with the HPV vaccine by age 15. 70% of women to be screened at least twice with a high performance test. 90% of women with pre-cancer or cancer to receive the appropriate care and treatment, including palliative care. So how can Australia get involved in making that happen? How can we play a pivotal place in making this a reality internationally? Here is Professor Marion Seville again. We don't think about cervix cancer much in Australia and I think that with our current incidence of around 6 per 100,000, which is already the definition of a rare cancer, there's not many people who know someone who's actually had cancer. Quite a few people know someone who's been treated for a pre-cancer. But if you go up to Papua New Guinea, our our nearest neighbour, The rates there are closer to 30 per 100,000, closer to the rates you'd know about with breast cancer. And in those communities and across the Western Pacific, there's a high awareness of cervical cancer and there's a tragedy of really very little screening, very little treatment and, worse still, practically no palliative care. So it's a terrible cancer in those communities because it strikes women in their 40s and 50s when they're critical to their families Many of them die without a diagnosis and certainly without adequate treatment. You know, there's a lot of work to do in the region 
And there's no way we're going to screen those women with the way we did it in our PAP program for all those years. So self-collection gives us the scalability that we need and the acceptability that we need in low and middle income countries to have any hope of meeting these targets. In all our interviews about women's health, we like to ask our guests to share what it is they feel optimistic about. This time, the answer felt a little bit more obvious. Given this is an area of women's health where change is not only happening right now, but has been doing so for some time, that change comes thanks to decades of research, thanks to a global coordinated effort, thanks to the tireless work and dedication of people like Professor Marion Seville, and thanks to targets. What happens next is the coordination. It's about leadership, and that is, as we know, not always easy. But it is absolutely possible. We've got the tools. We've just got to figure out a way to roll them out. And that is about political commitment, resourcing, scaling up, and it's about implementation. So that's where we're working now. But it's a very exciting time to be involved. And um, I think we can reach the people in Australia we're not reaching. We can make a difference in our part of the world. We don't want mums dying of cervix cancer. It has an impact on their children, on communities. And so we can make a difference. We should. The Women's Health Project is produced by Gender Media, publisher of Women's Agenda. The project is editorially independent but made possible thanks to the support of Organon, the recently launched pharmaceutical company dedicated to a better and healthier every day for every woman. Thank you to today's guests for joining us. Thank you to our producer, Alison Ho, for putting the show together. And if you did like the show, you can help us out by leaving a review, which really helps others to also find the show. You may also want to check out our previous episodes and subscribe to the feed. Thank you for listening.